This is Fine Rambles, number 62. La 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 la. So, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I find that I am becoming more of a <laughs> more of a confused little puppy every day. So, you know, I, I think I just need to talk out loud for a little bit. Let me start by confessing. Confessing sometimes I thought I was right, but I was wrong. Or times that I thought I knew <laughs> I thought I knew what was going on. So, so the first example is back in 2014. There was a woman named Jackie Coakley, and she told Rolling Stone that she had been gang raped by fraternity members at the University of Virginia. And in reality, no no rape occurred. Coakley invented the story. You know, it ended up being this big scandal and there were lawsuits against Rolling Stone. But the point is that I believed it had happened when I read the story. It fit a narrative that I wanted to be true, I think, right? It, it fit with the way I saw the world at that time. There were these these rich, privileged, entitled jocks being sexual predators and, you know, almost worse, thinking that they could get away with it. Another example, a much more recent example. So, so Robert Kraft, the, uh, I guess he's the owner of the Patriots, was caught getting rubbin' tugs. And the claim at the time was that the women at these spas, you know, in quotes, were the victims of sex trafficking. And, you know, this was a sensational narrative. And I believed it. I believed it. It was, it confirmed, again, it was confirming evidence for something I already believed, right? That powerful men, like, you know, I guess he's blowing up the news right now, but like Jeffrey Epstein, that they could get away with sexual abuse. And that was just this unbelievable miscarriage and perversion of justice. And so I got very angry at Robert Kraft. And then, <laughs> are we seeing a pattern here? Later, it was revealed that the police had spread this lie. They deliberately spread the lie that the employees were the victims of sex trafficking. And the police also tried to share with the public the videos of Kraft, right, which is just this blatant invasion of privacy. And especially, this is crazy, so I just learned this, the videos were obtained through something called delayed notice warrants or sneak and peek warrants that were part of the surprise, surprise, Patriot Act, right? <laughs> right? And they were designed to be used only in response to really pressing terrorist threats, right? So you wouldn't have to serve the warrant. You could just break into someone's home or business and secretly install these cameras. And, you know, guess how that idea went, right? I mean, Jesus Christ. Now they're predominant. This idea, the sneak and peek, the late notice warrant is predominantly used to ensnare drug offenders, right? So once again, this extraordinary powerful weapon 
was handed to people incentivized to use it all the bloody time. And guess what? They did. They did. So in each case, the media, the media either lied or they sort of gleefully disseminated a lie for the exact same reason that I was stupid enough or naive enough or whatever to believe the lie, right? They wanted it to be true. It's cases like this that really make me distrust the media, for better or for worse, because it, they make me realize that the media is not on the side of my better self. The media's on the side of my worst self, the side that jumps to conclusions and enjoys, actually enjoys getting angry. And, you know, the side of me who wants to feel righteous and moral without having to actually do anything, as though anger was a signal of my, of my virtue. And here's some really terrible news <laughs> in what has been just an uplifting podcast so far, Matt. Thank you so much. So the terrible news is this. We are designed, we've evolved to believe everything we hear. We're designed to believe the lies. We're designed to believe the fear mongers and the rumor mongers and the yellow journalists, we believe instinctively. I think it's Dan Gilbert who did some of the research on this. Belief is automatic. It's easy. It just happens. It's disbelief that is difficult. It's disbelief that requires that pause to think, to say, does this really make sense? It's disbelief that takes conscious effort because, well, okay, so we're storytelling creatures, right? Like, I can see faces in clouds. I see narratives even in random sequences, random sequences, <laughs> random sequences of events, right? So that's good. That's good. This is a good trait, right? We're instinctively trying to make sense of things. We're instinctively trying to map the territory. We instinctively want to understand. We want to get a handle on reality so that we can navigate it correctly. The danger is our ego, our motherfucking ego. <laughs> because if a story or a narrative or a theory that we believe is contradicted by reality, our ego, <laughs> our ego tells reality to go fuck itself, right? It tells reality to take a hike. That's how afraid the ego is of change, right? It would rather stick with a lie than try to understand the truth, right? Even after reality has shown you evidence that the story is a lie, it would rather stick with that story rather than risk trying to figure out a new story. So that was one thing I was thinking about. <laughs> and here's another thing. So, okay, so I, this is my understanding, okay? I think science is supposed to work like this. <laughs> it's the killing of an original beautiful hypothesis by an ugly fact. And that's simply not true anymore. We're now living in a world where where beautiful theories kill ugly facts, <laughs> right? The fact is dismissed as fake news, or the fact teller is dismissed as the enemy and destroyed. 
Other points of view that don't agree with our beautiful theory are literally seen as infective diseases, <laughs> right? John Haidt talks about this. You don't argue with an infectious disease. You burn it. You burn it. It's the enemy, the enemy. And when, when facts become your enemy, when ideas that contradict your ideas become the enemy, when diversity of opinion becomes your enemy, you are lost. All right, so here's something else I was thinking about. So Jordan Peterson a while back posed a challenge. He said, you know, it's easy for us to tell when the right goes too far. Someone starts talking about like ethno-imperialism. They start talking about wiping out inferior races, and we're all like, oh my God, <laughs> that is a bad dude. But he said, you know, it's harder to tell when the left goes too far. And well, so I had an idea. So here's one, here's one theory. The right, when it goes too far, is pretty straightforward about being genocidal. And the left's equivalent to that is utopianism. This theory that inspires action based on the promised land. And that's when, you know, the promised land, it sounds like such a great idea, right? Everything will be better. But utopianism is when the hypothesis is so beautiful, no fact can be allowed to stand in its way. It's when the future the utopians promise is so perfect any suffering in the present is worthwhile. More importantly, not just worthwhile, it's necessary. When the ends are so amazing, they necessitate any means. And that's when everyone must believe exactly the same thing on every issue. Because under utopianism, it's not just that the truth is known, the truth is absolute. It's eternal. It's unchanging, right? It's utopia. So if you disagree on any possible issue with the utopians, you are, you are the enemy. You're dangerous. Your disagreement is dangerous. It's evil. It must be burned. It must be destroyed. Utopians think that if they can control the map, they can alter the territory, right? They think if they can control language, they can change human nature. And utopianism isn't just perfect now, right? It's perfect forever. It can never be updated. It can never adapt. And it's complete. A utopian ideology answers every possible question. Utopianism spits in the face of science and reason and tolerance, and humility. Utopianism is a recipe for fucking disaster. It's like a cult. <laughs> when disaster strikes, when reality disagrees, they don't change. They don't learn. When they're proven wrong, they double down. When you show a utopian the gulags of the Soviet Union, they don't change their ideas. They deny and they double down. When you show them the great leap forward and the cultural revolution, they deny and they double down. The killing fields of Cambodia, they deny and they double down. Venezuela, well, you get the idea, right? 
Because this absolute, right, this ideology of utopian, utopianism, that's their God. That's their religion. It gives them meaning and purpose in a world that's killed God. And it's killed the family and it's killed community. You know, it's very easy to understand this, this knee-jerk need to have something to fill that gap. And this ideology becomes all they have. Run an experiment. Try to take a bone away from a starving dog and see what happens. You can't... Hmm, how can I put this? Okay, so you can't fight an absolute ideology with rationality. Humans require an absolute. There's a little slot in our brain labeled God or absolute. And if you take it out, well, nature abhors a vacuum. Something else will go in there. And the Judeo-Christian Islamic tradition, for all its faults, right, gets something very, very right. It says the human being is sacred. Sacred, divine. Man is made in the image of God. You can leave sort of the metaphysics out of it. What that means is you can't sacrifice people on the altar of your absolute. You don't get to kill people to usher in the global domination of your tribe. You don't get to kill people in order to bring about some hypothetical utopia. But if you don't have that idea of the divinity of man, there's no argument against that murder. Because it just devolves into math. How many people do I get to kill today if a billion people will be better off tomorrow? And when you think you're on the side of God, when you're on the side of the absolute, right or left, the math on your sides is always infinity, right? Because it's eternal, it's unchanging, it's absolute. So you always think you're the good guy. You always think you're virtuous. And then you go out and you murder a bunch of people to prove how virtuous you are. So this has been quite a ramble. Again, I'm not entirely sure what I'm trying to say, but I think it's something like this. Human beings require an absolute. And extremist ideologies, right wing or left wing, they try to fill that slot in our brain that is empty because of the death of God. And the right wing and the left wing, left wing, sorry, the right wing and the left wing, they're similar. It's, it's the extremism that matters. In fact, you know, it was well known in the 1930s that the easiest people to convert to hardcore Nazism were the hardcore communists, because they'd already demonstrated that they were open to extremism. And extremism has an ally in, in its attempt to get into that slot in our brain that's labeled God or that's labeled the absolute. And that ally is our own proclivity to believe, especially, especially when we're desperate for something to believe in, when we're so sick of materialism and nihilism that even the most grotesque and distorted ideology seems better than nothing. At least it gives us some meaning. At least it gives us some purpose. Because we know we believe instinctively, we have to err on the side of caution, right? And I have to remind myself of this every goddamn day. Matt, defer judgment. Matt, you know, try to steel man the opposing side's argument. Matt, you need to seek out disconfirming evidence. Because otherwise... 
I'm going to end up possessed by bad ideas, bad absolutes. And those ideas will make me do horrible, horrible things. Whew. <laughs> that, was, that, that was long, if nothing else. I, uh, that's all I got. I, uh, I'll catch you next week.